Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another edition of the Holy Shoot Wrestling Podcast, a podcast that is all about the world of professional wrestling. On today's show, we'll be launching a new concept called Heaven and Hell. But first, let me introduce you to my co-host slash guest of the evening, Mike. Hello, Brad. How are you today? Yeah, not too bad. I'm your host, Broderick. And how are you doing today? I'm just following the script because why not? But yeah, not too bad. <laughs> I- only six days of quarantine so far. <laughs> yeah, I don't really have a script, so I'll just tell the truth. It's WrestleMania after WrestleMania for me right now. Um, just hoping they don't pre-tape it. I don't know exactly what's going on out there, but yeah, I hope to do something live. I, I mean, we all hope that they can do something live. I mean, that's the ideal scenario. I mean, the ideal scenario is none of this would be happening, but... Um, of course. But yeah, I mean, if they end up pre-taping it, it's probably a wisest decision because you just don't know when this thing is going to be over. So, um, but yeah, I think, uh, yeah, uh, there's not much to talk about other than the coronavirus. And it's really annoying because this is supposed to be an escape from the coronavirus, Mike. <laughs> oh, there must there must be other stuff going on in the world. We've got marble racing. Um Mm. Virtual, virtual racing, all sorts of other racing that we don't normally talk about. What else yeah. have we got going on? Uh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, I did know that um, because ESPN in America are struggling right now for sports coverage, obvious reasons. Yeah. Uh, they've actually rebranded their ESPN2 channel as ESPN8, the Ocho from uh, Dodgeball. <laughs> oh, wow. Just a day of obscure sports and just highlighting them. So I think that's pretty cool if you like stateside. I think that's happening today. Um, but um, at the time of recording, so it's probably done. But yeah, no, I mean, myself has just uh, been catching up on some stuff that I've wanted to read for a while. Yeah. Um, oh, I, I can tell you something. Other than virus, since I'm being stuck in the house for weeks on end, I've been told that I'm going to paint and I am the worst. DIY person ever. Oh so no! We we spent around eighty minutes a day trying to figure out how to open the tin of paint. Um, Google told me a screwdriver, but you eventually I figured out they had to lever the. <sighs> I I I don't do DIY in the slightest. So we got it open, but by that point it was getting late. So that's stage one for today. Tomorrow we're going to try and get some of that paint on the wall. <laughs> and apparently, wax on, wax off is not the correct technique. So I feel like I've been lied to for twenty years. I don't even know about that. This is why I live in rented accommodation, so I don't have to bother <laughs> with DIY, and I can just get people in to do my yes. dirty work. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, for me, I got the latest version of Madden NFL 20, which already had a botch within the first minute where they said, oh, it's this player that has superstar ability, and the picture was of another player. And I'm just going, they don't even look alike. So... So far, that game gets minus five stars, uh, in the words of Brian Alvarez. Anyway, so on with the show. Uh, with nothing that with nothing that new happening in the world of professional wrestling, although I wrote that before Broken Matt Hardy debuted, uh, due to limitations being placed on even the biggest promotions due to the coronavirus pandemic, we have decided to make this a fun zone, a fun series, if you will, called Heaven and Hell. Uh, each episode, my guest gets to put five matches to rest in heaven and five to rest in hell. The idea for heaven is that the guest chooses five matches that they would watch over and over again or has important significance to them. 
Uh, meanwhile, the idea for the five matches that go to hell are five matches that they just cannot stomach the idea of rewatching or just think are oh, really, really crap. Uh, this is personal choice, purely subjective and not objective, and this is in no particular order. Um, I'm just a host, so even if I disagree with Mike, it's his opinion, and that's what matters uh, here today. So, Mike, what is your yes. first match to go to Rest in Heaven? The first match for me to put in Rest in Heaven goes all the way back to 1989, where Ultimate Warrior fought Ravishing Rick Rude at SummerSlam 89. Long believe, time ago. I believe this is also for the Intercontinental Championship. It, it is. It's a rematch from WrestleMania 5, where Ultimate Warrior lost the title to Rick Rude. This was the rematch. Um, and this 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 is kind of my introduction to WWE pay-per-view because unlike most people, I didn't become a wrestling fan by watching it. I became a wrestling fan through magazines and the WWF annual long before I'd seen my first wrestling match. It was all on paper and, you know, biographies and stories about them. So before I'd even watched a wrestling match, Ultimate Warrior was my favorite wrestler. Really? Oh, yes. that's, that's, so so how how I mean with the annuals and the magazines like how did you determine that Ultimate Warrior was your favorite wrestler? It must have just been just the way he looked. He had you know the, that superhero type look. Obviously, it was him and Hogan at the time, but Warrior with the tassels and the colors. And I think I remember the first picture I ever saw of him doing the gorilla press on some what I now know is a random jobber, but, you know, it just looked amazing. He's holding them up above his head like that. And to, a, mm. I mean, I'd, I'd been eight or nine years old at this point. So it was like, wow, this can't possibly be real. And, you know, went on and on about this. <laughs> I guess at the time went on and on about this fake thing. This can't possibly be happening. It must just be all on pictures until come probably a Christmas. I get my first VHS of SummerSlam 89. And plug oh. it in the player and press play, and there we go. Oh, that, that that's awesome. Um, no, I think I feel the match itself is actually pretty good character work. I actually really enjoyed. I, I enjoy like the eighties wrestling style. It's kind of, I mean, it's of its time, but I think just a focus on character. I think the commentary is also just so much fun back in the day, and I think that's what wrestling is supposed to be. It's fun. It, it um, is making it all part of a story. It doesn't have to be realistic and ties to the real world. That, like you say about character, they've all got their names and their signature moves, and mm. they they don't they don't have clever catchphrases like they do now. It's all about you know who they are as a as a superhero cartoon character. So that's what we come into that match looking at. Yeah, I will say this though, like I'm not I'm not knocking Rick Rude, tremendous bod and all, but. Oh, why did he get the sexy gimmick? I mean, that hair. Not the Tash. The Tash <laughs> is amazing. But the hair. Uh, it's a bad hair game. In the 80s, that's what they loved. And the crowd, you know, ate it up. And the, yeah. the women were swooning over him. And his, his weekly skits where he would bring them into the ring and kiss them was, you know, just a sign. They, mm. they were real fans. They weren't plants coming into the ring. Yeah. I, I mean, the thing... I, yeah, I just absolutely love Rick Rude's like character work. I think the tights, the ravishing stuff. And then I, I think the ending is just so much fun with Piper coming down and you know giving the assist. I, it, I it's just you just don't get that these days. You don't, and just the whole story of the match is so simple. It's you know mm. there's not that much 
backwards and forwards too much. You've got Warrior with his initial rampage. Finally, Root takes control and dominates pretty much the whole match. And then Rowdy comes down, does his slight involvement with a Mooney, which, you again, you don't see that these days. And you've got the finishing <laughs> move, and it's over. It's real simple. It's really easy to watch. Um, mm. So the the reason I chose this match out of all, all others is obviously Warrior is my favorite wrestler going into this, like I've said. Yeah. So I see this match and as Warrior matches go with hindsight, it's up there with his best. You know, I, w- I would go on to see a lot of Warrior matches that weren't, you know, very good. So I was very biased at the time, so I probably didn't think that. But looking back now, the, f- the first Warrior match I saw was one of Warrior's best matches with somebody who was carrying him but also carrying him and making him look good instead of making themselves look good. Yeah, I second that. I mean, I think Rick Rude does a fantastic job of making Warrior look um, absolutely fantastic here. Um, but yeah, no, I think it's a great choice to go to Rest in Heaven. So what's your first match to go to? Rest in Hell. Oh, which one of these? Did, did you actually watch the ones I, I sent you that were going to Hell? Yep, I've, I've seen I've seen all of them, all but two of them because i'm not a wcw guy i must admit yeah. so uh, uh i mean i did rewatch most of them today for research uh-huh. purposes so i was just refreshing the memory so and anyone you want to choose okay well let's get one of the wcw ones out the way let's go with hogan versus piper um from super <sighs> brawl 7 i think it was yeah super brawl 7 uh that was like uh oh when, when was is early part of 1997 that was 97, yes. So, yes. you know, the, the WCW can do no wrong in terms of whatever they put onto the screen. People will watch in their thousands of millions, a lot more than WWF. And it's only looking back now that you realize that what they were putting out was complete and utter shite. Um, oh, God, it was so bad, that, that match. It, it was. But, I mean, we, we're now 10, 11 years after I've started watching. So now I know... I understand wrestling history. I understand what I'm going to be seeing and stuff. So I didn't hold any illusions that it's going to be a classic. But what Mm. I did think is with Hogan and Piper having such a massive feud in the 80s and being synonymous with one another, the things they can do in the ring without having to be great mat workers, they can put on a great story. That's what you're expecting. Yeah. The great story is that Rowdy Roddy Piper locks himself into Alcatraz prison for seven days to get himself psyched up and turns up to the arena looking, you know, covered in shit, looking awful. And yeah. then they proceed to have a match that is full of nonsensical moments. Um, I mean, initially there's a low blow by Piper on Hogan right in front of the ref. The ref winces and kind of almost lifts his hand up to cover his eyes, knowing he shouldn't be seeing this because this is not a no DQ match. There was a no DQ match earlier in the show, but suddenly we've got a low blow in the first few seconds. Mm. Um, followed by what is potentially the worst chair shot in history, where Hogan kind of, you know, gently, almost sexually caresses his cheek <laughs> with a padded part of a chair. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I, I don't want to imagine Hogan and anything sexual again. Uh, uh, seriously, Hogan and Piper doing sexual stuff with the chair is not what I expected to say on this podcast, but I've said it anyway. Um, ne- Keep that in, Sam. <laughs> Next, you've got Hogan hitting his low blow when the referee's back is turned, so at least he's um, you know going with normal wrestling logic. But the two things that I hate about this is, first of all, Piper no-sells it. And you don't no-sell a low blow. You can no-sell a lot of things. 
I don't think even Undertaker no-sold low blows when he was in his can't-feel pain gimmick. That was the one thing that would put him down. And second of all, having Hogan done this behind the referee's back, Tony Schiavone says, I think Hogan's trying to get himself disqualified. I mean, it's as if they're not watching the match. or It's as if they've got a script that they have to say no matter what happens in the ring. So this is all in the first three minutes, and already this is a mess of a match. Yeah, and then the ending. The ending, yes. So you've got paper with a sleeper hold on Hogan. Not, you know, not in '97, the most dominating move that maybe, maybe '82, '83 matches could end with a sleeper hold, or even late '80s, it was two wrestlers finishing move, and you can see them winning. But '97, you don't win a match with a sleeper hold. However, Hogan can't answer the arm up three times and the match ends with his feet probably around three feet away from the bottom rope and in the 42 seconds in between the ref ringing the bell and finally turning back round Randy Savage has pulled Hogan across the ring and put his feet under the rope that the ref now thinks oh he must have been like that all the time let's restart this match I mean how nonsensical yeah I thought I mean I did read something saying that it uh, Savage was supposed to pull Hogan's feet under the rope, and that's what should have led to like the the finish. It uh, the false finish. I know, I know they make botches and stuff, but to fix a botch like this was <laughs> no. It's it, I know there's no such thing as wrestling logic, and we'll talk about wrestling logic probably quite a bit today. But when you make a mistake to that magnitude. I don't. Yeah. I don't think that's the way to fix it. Also, in in the middle of this match, Sting and Randy Savage walk out. Oh yeah. It's it's as if Sting's walked out, and Randy Savage whispers to him, "You're not meant to be out here," because he stands for a few seconds, then just walks to the back again. Like, what was going on? Is is, is their writing team this bad? Huh. Yeah. I mean, this is. I mean, we complain about today's product, like main roster product, and the writing is bad and it's repetitive and some of it doesn't make any, any sense at all but yeah. WCW from 97 onwards is pretty shocking at the main event level uh, and, 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 and you know I didn't th- when Hogan came back in 2002 uh, I know this is slightly off topic but Hogan came back in 2002 and had that you know that one final run proper run in WWE he was, you know, it was a decent run. He put talent over. It was good. Like that's the proper way to use Hogan. Here in '97, he's just like he's clearly past it. What an he's, awful, awful, awful match! You've just said he's clearly past it, and therefore he's main eventing with Piper and Savage. Past it, past it. Uh, yeah, it just it, it was exactly what WWE were taking the piss out of them for. They were just, you know, because they were old wrestlers mm. they were getting main event spots and like you said it, it was awful from 97 and the fact that dvds and books have been written about how bad it was you know you don't see many the greatest hits of wcw 97 to 2001 but you have whole books and documentaries called the death of wcw it's yeah for for what was the top company at the time it makes you see how people will just buy into what you know we'll watch it because we're meant to be watching it doesn't matter how bad it is yeah well you know i think uh at least this at least in the past couple of years now you know you can make comparisons to WWE and wcw and um 
Yeah, at least people have learned their lesson that time around. Anyway, enough about this awful match. Let's talk about another awful match. What's your second match that's going to hell, Mike? Uh, second match to go to hell, Triple H versus Scott Steiner from the Royal Rumble. This was... Ugh. <laughs> it's, it's, it's hard to talk about these horrible matches and really say why. I but... um, I didn't think it was the worst of the war it's a bad match without a doubt it was slow it's boring it was you know triple 2003 was triple h's worst year it was and he was he was burying people for the sake of it and he probably picked steiner for that very reason that it was a big name for him to beat but the reason that was it a big name though like he was main event in wcw at his death he had, and you'd just gone through the whole invasion angle where everybody was probably biting their nails, begging these names from WCW to come in and save it. So the fact that he finally came in yeah. and got the got the build and the entry that he got, and the, just just the look of him, the size of him, you know, was always going to make him look like somebody who, if you beat him, I mean, even if even somebody watching for the first time sees Scott Steiner, the way he looked, he was an absolute freak. Oh yeah, freakzilla. Freaks of the yes. I mean, Triple H what, is an uh, uh, extremely well-built guy at this point, but he looks small compared to Scott. But mm. the reason I've gone for this bad is, uh, and this will be the, the theme with a lot of bad matches, is it's what you expect going into it that can, if it, if it lets you down so much, it can be that bad. And with Triple H Steiner, you expected probably five or six minutes of absolute huge big move after big move after big move, and then whatever finish they decided to do. But instead, we get 18 minutes. I mean, Triple H in an 18-minute match against Scott Steiner is ridiculous. And because they go 18 minutes, what you've got is you've got one big move and then a rest. And then one big move and then a rest. There's no way to actually get into the match or get any sort of fluidity going. What makes it worse is every time Steiner goes to hit a big move, he botches it or falls over doing very simple suplexes or, you know, he can't lift him up. He can't hold him up. He's a genetic freak who looks like the weakest man in the wrestling at the time. Yeah. I think the biggest problem is like, by all accounts, Steiner was, I mean, between WCW and signing for WWE, he was basically out of ring shape. Uh, did very few shows between 2001 and 2003. Yeah. So there's that issue. And you know, was, you, do need, you do need to be in great fucking ring shape to have an 18 minute match. And, and, and Triple H, I don't think, went out of his way to make it easy. I think he was making himself heavy, um, deliberately. I don't think he, he, he didn't uh, want other people mm, to look good at this point. Yeah, I would say in 2003 that was a case. You know, yeah, I mean, the book. I mean, the Booker T thing was awful. Uh, it wasn't, and, and uh, Booker yeah, but... T only came in because this was so awful. I mean, the main event of the next pay per view as well, which was almost as bad. And then suddenly Scott Steiner isn't even on the WrestleMania card, and they bring Booker in. I think it's it's clear that Steiner was obviously going to be Triple H's opponent at WrestleMania, yeah. presuming the first two matches did what was expected. Mm. But yeah, I mean, the Reign of Terror was just bloody awful uh i think it was less awful towards the end but i mean in that and that's in the ruthless aggression era like monday night raw you do actually look at the scene and you go yeah which guys could have actually been in triple h's spot at the same time 
But then you see this match, you think, ah, he is burying people. But I would say that Scott Steiner being injured, that didn't help. I think Triple H was just, you know, he had like hellish knee injuries. He, and he, he, you know, throughout 2003, he was carrying more and more injuries. So, yeah. you know, like, you know, he, he was in a bad shape as well. So I, this this was really the apex of two wrestlers who weren't in the best shape. And, you know, Scott Steiner, I, I love the guy, just not in WWE. <laughs> no, that, I mean, like you say, they're, they're not in the best shape, but they're not in the best mental shape either. They're not trying mm-hmm. their hardest to put what it on. And it, it all comes down to disappointment. I was disappointed with what the match was, disappointed with what the match led to. And coming off the invasion angle to finish the invasion angle, and then within two months you have your first Ric Flair match since 93, and then a year later you've got your first Scott Steiner match, and then two months later you've got your first Goldberg match. It just felt like they got the invasion angle so totally wrong because as soon as it's over, they start bringing in the big names from WCW. So every time they did that, it was just another slap after another slap. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, with the invasion angle, it's like, where do you actually start it? Do you wait till all these guys sign? In which yes. case, but but the thing is, like, what, what does that leave the WCW and ECW stars? You know, you sign them and then logically that's when you start your invasion. If you start like a year later, it's just we go, well, what were they doing for a year? Were they just I think, I think they should have I think they should have signed the ones that they could and just signed them as wrestlers and then when they can bring the big names in, suddenly they do what ECW wrestlers did and turn and go back to their you know, to their roots and you have a real invasion. It was just it's you know, it is the worst story I can think of that should have been huge. It should have been NWO style in terms of it went four or five years. Um it should have been better, it should have been bigger, and instead they kind of drip fed it in. By the time that the WCW yeah. wrestlers were coming, the invasion was over. When you mean NWO, you don't mean the NWO and WWF. <laughs> <laughs> no, definitely not. I mean, the original real NWO, the storyline, I mean, that started Bash of the Beach 96 and goes yeah. on, you know, they're still in, in existence late 2000. So, yeah. Yeah. So, enough about Triple H Steiner. Let, let's talk some, some positive. Second match to go to heaven. So, second match to go to heaven. Before the show even starts, the British Bulldog is going to win whether he wants to or not. You're watching that. You're watching this little kid say that line that will stick with me all these years later. We're talking about British Bulldog versus Bret Hart at SummerSlam 92. Mm. An event Mm. that, before it starts, is full of excitement for me. It's in England. It's in London. Wembley Stadium. It's the first time in recent memory that the world title didn't main event. Um, It had Ultimate Warrior on the card. It had Undertaker on the card. It was... You know, I just remember being so super excited to watch this event. And then the event happens. And, you know, I'm I'm still only 11 at this point. So I'm still at the stage where it's real to me, damn it. And they're all, <laughs> the characters are larger than life. And you've got the tag matches. You've got Shawn Michaels and Rick Martel not allowed to hit each other in the face while hitting each other in the face. You've got Ultimate Warrior versus Randy Savage. In yet another good Ultimate Warrior match. Not his best, but good. It's watchable. And then you come to the main event after all of that. And it is 
watching it the first time and then watching it probably 50 times over the next month. It's an incredible, perfect wrestling match for at the time where it was all big power characters. Suddenly you've got a proper wrestling match like you weren't seeing at the time. Um, you've got counter holds. You've got each one kicking or escaping from the finisher. You've got an amazing roll up to mm. give British Bulldog the title at the end. You've got the will they shake hands, won't they, and the hug. You've just got everything that at that point I hadn't seen before and didn't think existed in wrestling. Yeah. So I, I love the match and I continued loving it. Then I find out the truth about the match. 10, 15 years later, you find out that Bulldog was totally out of it and scared and nervous and confused. And Brett pretty much carried the match and called spot after spot in the ring. And it makes you fall in love with it again because you've seen this thing so many times and suddenly you find out that everything you thought wasn't exactly right. It wasn't both of them clicking perfectly. It was your favorite wrestlers being even better than you thought. Absolutely. Like, um, it's near wrestling perfection that match. I think the occasion, uh, the technical style of wrestling that was loud. I mean, Bret Hart really brought that into the fore in the main event scene in WWF in the early nineties. But before that, it was very much character driven, and this is character driven as well. Throughout um, the commentary is wonderful. Um, you know, being in London, British superstar. Lennox Lewis carrying the flag, uh, which is just a little side point that I really love. I think, I mean, yeah, this is an absolutely special match. It's one of my favorites from, uh, for those who don't know, I got into wrestling in 2004. So there's two errors for me. There's the me error and there's the everything else error. So uh, from the everything else era, it's one of my favorites. Um, it's just, it is, it is perfection in storytelling and in technical ability at the same time. And the fact that Bulldog wasn't right, as you said, um, heading into that match just makes it all the more impactful because it's just like Brett did such a fantastic job. Um, you know, as much as I say Brett's a bit overrated in terms of a character, uh, should he be like that high-level main eventer? It's those sorts of matches where you think, no, he is that damn good. He was that damn good. And it was, it was just the match that changed mm. how I view wrestling and realized there were different types of matches. Um, and I think the the fact that it was um, brother-in-law versus brother-in-law, which at the time mm. was pretty unique and family. And as far as I can remember, that, that was how I realized that they were related. I don't think it had ever really been mentioned before or played up. You know, I'd seen them on the same show before and had no idea. And, it just it, it it took me from thinking that everything was real to realizing that this is how a story is really told. It was you know the transition period for me. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, I never had that because um, I always knew it was scripted, even when I was like, seven. yeah. Like because my dad, <laughs> I usually, I was just like, I want to watch wrestling, and I. My dad was pretty much, you don't want to watch that fake crap without saying crap. My dad didn't like swearing for the record. Yeah. Uh, um, but it was pretty much along those lines. Uh, so, you know, I never had that experience. So that's pretty cool that, I, I don't know, 
to be a kid and think it's real. I think that must be like really cool to just have it that was. experience. It was. And, Didn't make me cool at school though. Uh, damn. <laughs> damn. No, no, it doesn't make you cool at school. Actually, really, like, because I'm a pro wrestling fan, I'm just like, yeah, I'm a pro wrestling fan now. People are like, oh, cool. And then move on with their lives. I love being an adult. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so much easier. Uh, yeah, when it comes to that sort of stuff, it's just like, oh, you like that? All right, cool. Um, so, yeah. Well, I'm glad that uh, made your five. So let's go back to hell. Which match do you want to put in hell next? Uh, let's uh, let's really get WCW out the way and talk about Hogan versus Sting from Starcade. Starcade 97 for the record. Star, so yeah, so we're in the second Hogan match from 97 that's going to hell. Uh, and, let's put some context as well. It's December 28th, 1997. Yes. Very important to put the date here. Yes. So for context, 18 year, eighteen months previous to that, this story gets its its little starting, you know, with the first interaction, the first time you see Sting as his Crow character, where he kind of announces that he's going to vanish from resting for a while. And he's just going to pop up here and there when you least expect it. And then for the next 18 months, he did. You would find him randomly in the rafters staring at Hogan or little glimpses here and there. And it was a rare time where WCW actually did long-term booking instead of just, you know, we've got a match here that people will pay to see. Let's put them in the ring together. It was 18 months of build and tiny little segments getting more and more closer to the time until Starcade came around. It was possibly the most anticipated wrestling match in my lifetime coming at, at that point um that w- what you want what you knew you were going to see in the ring was going to be a culmination of so much that had happened so much from bash at the beach so much all the way through every story of 97 was kind of aimed at this you knew bret hart had just signed you knew something special was going to happen that night that you would remember for the rest of your life and Something special happened that night that I have remembered for the rest of my life, but not in the way I thought it would. Yeah, so this is a boring match with a shitty ending. It's boring, it's confusing because you expect Sting to come back and, like, when a wrestler returns and hits all these big moves and is faster and quicker than you remember, and instead he just I'm watching this and two, three minutes in I, I, I figure out what they've done. This isn't the real Sting. The real Sting's suddenly going to come down. And then that doesn't happen because it is the real Sting who's just slow and getting beat until after around ten minutes he gets beat with a egg drop and a one, two, three. Nothing fast. In, in fact, it's probably quite a slow count. And it's over. And if they'd left it over it then, it would probably still be going to hell now, but it's about to get worse. Because <laughs> debuting Bret Hart seems to be given powers that most authority figures have to really earn, comes down and, you know, despite Bischoff saying he wasn't going to use the Montreal Screwjob as any part of storyline, the very first thing they do is use the Montreal Screwjob as part of storyline by saying that nobody's going to get screwed out like that and he restarts the match. Um... <laughs> I mean, it's it's just chaos, and this is just a real sign of how they 
how the wrestlers had too much creative control at the time because I'm sure Hogan didn't want to lose and Sting didn't want to lose and whatever was happening and Bischoff was trying his best to come up with a way that would make them both happy and if this is what made them both happy then I'm disappointed in both of them because it was it was an absolute mess yeah Hogan didn't want to do the job and then he gets screwed even though he won clean and Sting leaves with the WCW title. Like, the psychology is all wrong. This is all wrong. I, I mean, I, I, contextually, I actually knew about the importance of this match. I've never seen it until today because basically I heard how boring and crap the ending was. And my God, it was... I mean, this was a guy that really wanted, should have been, really wanted to beat the shit out of Hogan. And... Yeah. But he didn't. He comes into the ring and does nothing. Yep. I and know. the crowd are waiting and waiting in anticipation for finally Sting to do what they've waited for 18 months and to this day it doesn't happen. Yeah. I, yep. I mean, if Hogan just won clean like that, it would have been like, well, that was a one-star match, but you know, it's just... Oh, I, it's just the most depressing ending match, possible. It is. This match needs to go to hell for being the biggest disappointment in wrestling. Yep, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. So, your third match to go to wrestling heaven. Wrestling heaven or hell? Heaven. Heaven. Okay, so for this we are going to go to 1998, Mankind versus Undertaker in the Hell in a Cell. Mm. Pretty much every wrestling fan has seen this match. Mm. Pretty sure it's not one that when I told you what my matches are, you had to go back and remind yourself. No, I, I do know this match. You know, it's uh, yeah, the education of WWE like that. This is a match that's up there. Yeah. So, so this is... Go on. No, I was just going to ask, so why is this special to you? Okay, so it's special. If you go back to the time that it happens, this is the second real... Um, Hell in a Cell match in WWE history. The first one, Undertaker, Shawn Michaels was a five-star classic that Shawn Michaels especially made as good as it was by bouncing all over and doing such athletic things. You know, he was halfway down the cage when he comes off and goes through the table, which is a spectacular bump for the time, one of the biggest ones I've ever seen. Mm. And then when Taker versus um, Mankind is announced for being the Hell in a Cell, I'm slightly disappointed because I love both characters, but I know that no matter what they do, they can't be as good as Shawn Michaels' taker, and they can't top the bumps that they did in that match. And what I love most in wrestling is when you go into an event or into a match knowing something, and then you get proven wrong. Mm. That's the best feeling when they can trick you because you know it's it's a short match it's around 12 13 minutes but you come out of it realizing that they did top the first one they did do bigger bumps than the first one and this is 1998 so 28 years ago jesus I feel old 28 years later has have i seen anything 22 like that 20 sorry 22 I like the as well. <laughs> Twenty-two years later, have I, have I seen anything in WWF or WWE that matches 
the way that he was thrown off the top top of the cell. The the very first. I mean, the the second one's violent enough and stuff, but that first one mm. really catch me if you think about like shane jumping off the cell and other bumps that they're, they're very they're planned they have anticipation you kind of know they're coming you're watching through your fingers but this one they were fighting on top of the cell which we'd seen before but you knew that they were just going to fight and then climb down and start the match again it's what you know there's no mm. way he can get thrown off that cell because he would die and then he gets thrown off the cell and then yeah. you know that there's no way that 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 was the match that you you realize oh my god that's a, a spectacular spot but that that is the match that's how they've decided to get out of the problem that they're in they're just ending it there and they don't they continue to make you wrong and when you're watching wrestling and you continue to be wrong it's a good feeling it's so much better than things being predictable yeah i i mean you know i think the Shane McMahon bumps the height makes it more dangerous technically um, but, dangerous, but it's 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 onto it's onto gimmick tables with you know he's standing up there he can plan he can you know get get think, his timing right I, I don't think the, uh, yeah he can get the timing right but I think you know that you know he is thrown he has to flip he has to hit that table perfectly yeah no 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 I, uh, yeah I agree but so does Shane like and also I don't think that the second time Shane McMahon did it tables gimmick the first time it wasn't. Uh, the I first believe. time against Taker, I, I, I think if you watch certain angles, the entire beneath of that table is cloth or rubber or some sort of gimmick. But you know, uh, they're, they're all impressive. It's it's the it's mm. the way he flips through and it's the suddenness of it. Oh it's, god, yeah. It's how you he's know, how he's thrown off and that, that angle from from both angles. Yeah. I'm not sure which one's more shocking. And then I, what comes after it is just. I think the the impressive part of that bump is you see Mick Foley not actually landing anywhere near his neck. I think that's just like, because I mean, no one should ever do that spot in my opinion. Like no no one. Uh, The only person mental enough to do is Mick Foley. And I believe if the second was correct, like he should have just been choked sand onto the cell roof. It wasn't supposed to cave through if I'm correct. Um, You know, there's different ways of thinking. I, I, I think they were meant to go through, but I think it was meant to go through a lot cleaner. Um, and obviously, mm. the chair wasn't meant to come following through and knock his tooth out. Oh God! Yeah. Um, but you know that everything comes together to make this match. At, at that point, where he hits the mat, having gone through the cell, mm. and Jim Ross singing, "Oh my God, he's dead," which is as real a call as you can get, and take uh, almost breaking characters and like, "Oh my God," the speed that. The refs and Terry Funk and the trainers hit the ring. And Vince. Vince. I mean, everything is... Yeah. Everything. You, you won, you're at home watching this or wherever you're watching this. The people in, in the crowd must think, oh my God, what is happening here? The, I mean, this is a marvellous like blurring of like reality with storyline like um, that was ahead of its time in some respects. Yeah, definitely, definitely a a time where you 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 don't know what is what is real anymore. Back to that believing what you're seeing, so that mm. there's no way he can carry on. You've then got you know a, a forgotten little segment where Terry Funk takes a choke slam from Undertaker, oh, yeah. li- literally choke slams him out of his shoes. <laughs> yeah, and then the and then they lock the cell door, and the match actually happens after all of this. Match starts, and it's 
a brutalist match. You've got the pile driver on the stairs, which is, you know, mm. be a definite no-no at the minute. You've got the thumbtacks being brought in, which is a first for WWF. Um, you've got the the double for the choke slam, the tombstone. I mean, you come out of that match, mankind should not be walking, should potentially not be alive, should be heading straight to the hospital. There's no way that mankind is going to be seen for weeks now. Unfortunately, yeah. now it in- interferes in the next match on the card. Which, yeah. in hindsight, I don't think they should have done. They should have replayed up how how big this beating was. But yeah. the, I loved the match at the time for how it made me feel, for the different emotions it put me through. But the reason I love it so much these days is when I want a non-wrestling fan to watch a wrestling match, this is yeah. one of the ones I show them. Oof. I, you see... Here's the thing about that. Like, I'm not disagreeing with you in the sense. Like, I think we all have different opinions, but I tend to just show him something modern, just because it's what's current. Um, if they don't like that, then they're not going to like the future. So that's my argument. But going back to the original point, yeah, why did this match not main event? Well, I, I guess Steve Austin was the most popular star at the time, and that was for the WWE. F championship, I believe, this is the first blood match against Kane. But yeah. really, this match should have main evented, and then it, you would have with hindsight, it should have main evented. But I don't know. Did Vince know what was going to happen going in? Did he know that this would go down? And like, mm. I like I I read and watch a lot of wrestling documentaries and books and all this thing, but I'm still not totally clear how much. Sometimes are, are they given? amount of time and a finish and told to go away and make the match, especially when they're at the level the taker and mankind are. Like how much to how much is known about spot by spot by spot before Oh they they all know about those spots. Like there's no way they wouldn't like I yeah, but either way I mean mean, even if you read Foley's book it's it kind of implies that up until the right before they come out Taker doesn't want them to go up the top and Mankind saying that we have to to make it good. So, I mean, there must have been different alternatives and endings and mm. things written in there. Or this just might be me still believing it's kind of real. Well, regardless, it's um, it's, it's a very like impactful match in the history of pro wrestling. I think it changed a lot of games. I mean, it, it's also probably a controversial match. Like, you know, people have to do more and more extreme spots because of it. But... You know, that's sometimes a good thing. So, uh, anyway, let's move on to the fourth match that should go to hell. The fourth match that should go to hell is the Iron Man match from WrestleMania 12, which mm. is Bret Hart versus Shawn Michaels, 60 minutes for the WWF title. Um, this is a lot of people love this match. A lot of people hate this match. A lot of people are indifferent to this match. I'm in the second category in that it was it was meant to be something different. We knew it was going to be a 60-minute match to really find out one way or the other who the winner was going to be. And, you know, I, I talked in the, in the previous match, when you know something coming in and you're proven wrong, it can be a great feeling. And I came into this knowing that it was going to be a 60-minute classic between these two great wrestlers. What I didn't expect is what we got, which is pretty much one long, boring, let's just get to the final few minutes so we can actually get this match started. And 
there's there's this thing that wrestling logic is a scary thing to apply to any form of wrestling because it's it's fake it's scripted there shouldn't there is no logic but sometimes you've got to suspend your belief and have some sort of logic in there for every time that they have a wrestling match after around 20 or 25 minutes max one of them wins how come this one time where it's going to go 60 minutes do they not have a fall why is this the one match in wrestling or WWF history at this point that goes 60 minutes the one time it has to I hated that I was expecting a 3-2 or a 4-3 or something where it's backwards and forwards like we would get in later Ironman matches but it's as if it, I think the first Ironman match should have been multiple falls and then maybe the 7th or 8th could have tricked us by not having a fall in the hour but to start off with that, it was just you, it was just a normal match that went sixty minutes. Yeah, I think. I mean, for me, I wouldn't say I hated it. I was just very indifferent to it. I, I like the ending. Um, I think which ending? The first ending or the second ending? The second. Yeah, you know, boyhood, boyhood dream. Well, um, but I think it's. Yeah, I'm I'm in agreement that for long periods of this match, nothing really eventful happens. No. And they I don't know if they could. I would have thought of any two wrestlers who could go quite full tilt for sixty minutes, it would be those two, but they don't. And if mm. they had, and if we'd had near fall after near fall in a classic match, then I wouldn't be sitting here saying that match should be in. But the fact that it was just a, a fifty minute move exchange until we get to the main bit. And that leads me to the second reason I hate this. I remember in the weeks leading up to this, thinking, and this is before the internet, so very early days of the internet, and before I had other people that I could talk to about wrestling, but I remember thinking and wondering so much what would happen if they finish on the same amount of falls. And at no point is that ever mentioned going into it. I find it ludicrous that they were going into the main event of WrestleMania not having a definitive answer to what would happen if they finish as a draw and the gorilla has to suddenly on the fly make up this rule that catches Brett by surprise and you know get gets the crowd excited. Again, wrestling logic I know doesn't exist, but either gonna have Brett win or Sean win or a draw. It's there's only three outcomes here. How can you forget about the third one? Yeah, I think I think in that sense, it's there to pop the crowd, pop the put the people at home, put the baby face over. I think that's probably why they did it. Um, I don't. I mean, I'm not aware of that backstory, so that's very interesting. And thanks for telling me that. Um, yeah, I, I. I mean, for me, it's kind of the fact that I, I kind of forgive it in some senses of being like very slow for a long periods, um, purely because it's. I mean, five minutes of wrestling is difficult enough, let alone 60. Uh, it is. It's and, hard, but there have, uh, been, uh, have been better ones since. And, and before yeah, that, of course, wrestlers of course. would regularly go 60 minutes. But, yeah, of course there's better ones since. But, you know, like before, I mean, it was a match that was, at least in WWF, was a bit more ahead of its time. It could have been ahead of the time. The whole idea was ahead of its time. Just the execution you know, hmm. their, their, their previous matches at Survivor Series 92 is a 23 or 24 minute wrestling clinic 
if the first 23 or 24 minutes of this had been that match and then they'd maybe done rest holds for a while, it would be so much better. But there was just nothing special about it. Yeah, I think that's a problem with long, longer matches. Yeah. It's and, like the pacing issue. And it was a pacing issue. And I know what you're saying about popping the crowd, but you've got the the commentators and the announcers and Vince and Gorilla beforehand, before the show even starts, saying that we're going to go an hour, it's a point for each fall, and this will give us a definitive winner. And it was just every time they're saying it, no, it won't. You're wrong. And for the very first one to be a draw, I just think it was like, uh, yeah. No. I mean, my problem with Iron Man matches is they're always close. Like, I would love to see, say, rebook SummerSlam 2014 and have Brock Lesnar and John Cena in a 30 minute Iron Man match where Brock Lesnar wins 5 0. I would love to see that because I, I it's just a different story. Like, uh, the problem with Iron Man matches is because this set a precedent of, like, to the sudden death, which I don't always like. Um, yeah, or, think... or it's like, oh, can he equalize in time, or can he get the full? Can he or she, should I say, because it's been our women matches, um, get the get the last fall? You know, yeah, it's, it's one of those matches cliche. where there's no point watching anything except the last three minutes because yeah, I, I'm trying to think of one now. Has there been an Iron Man or Iron Man woman match that hasn't been won by one fall? I don't think so. I can't think of one either, and that's what I mean. If if they now do an Iron Man match and do that and have somebody win four two, it would be different, and it would, you know, we I, wouldn't I, predict it. Yeah, I would like it. It'd be like yeah, yeah, like like I, I remember when Flair beat dumb. um, um Flair beat Mankind in a two out of three falls match. He beat him two nil, mm. and that shocked me because once Flair wins the first fall, you know Mankind's winning the second one. But and that's what I mean with this. It was just too. Bad. Yeah. At, at least there have been instances where, even recently, there's been like two nil and two out of three falls matches, which I like. Um, yeah. So yeah, no, fair enough. Straight to hell that goes. Uh, fourth match to go to heaven. Fourth match to go to heaven. WrestleMania 17. Stone Cold Steve Austin versus The Rock. Mm. A load and load of people, ninety odd percent, would probably say that WrestleMania 17 is their the best pay per view in history. Um, I, th- I think pretty much every wrestling fan would put it in their top five pay per views. Are you going to prove me wrong? Um, I don't know. I haven't watched all the pay per views all the way through, so I can't well, really fairly comment. I mean, in terms of WrestleManias. Yeah, it would be top five, definitely. I, I place yeah. WrestleMania, I mean, and this has been me being unbiased, I probably place it number two on my list. I preferred WrestleMania 19. Um, okay. but anyway, that's by the point. Let's talk about this match specifically. Let's talk about this match. So, coming into this match, the build up to it was excellent. You had Limp Biscuit playing um, My, my Way. way. Great. Which the, the whole, the whole build up, that, that music was perfect for it, storyline. Um, let's ignore the addition of Deborah for a week, which was a bit silly. But the whole, I mean, even the three months prior to that with Austin winning the Rumble, which again, I think is one of the best Rumbles of all time, and The Rock taking the title off Kurt Angle. It's just the, the build up to this WrestleMania for that main event was as good a build up to a main event as I've seen. Um, 
all the other matches on WrestleMania, with the exception of possibly Triple H and Undertaker and TLC, didn't have that much build coming into it. Um, I was looking forward to TLC just for the spot fest mm. and massively looking forward to the main event. So I remember this event so well. I watched it in a Riley's pool hall with probably around you know, six or seven of us had persuaded the guy to put it on the big screen and we're sitting there watching wrestling. And it opens with Jericho and William Regal. And, you know, you, you you have those matches. You have China versus Ivory, Test versus Eddie Guerrero, matches that wouldn't normally make a pay-per-view as great as it is. But by the time we get to TLC, the pay-per-view has already been good, possibly even really good. But I'll I'll just say good. You know that, mm. and the undercard can really make a, a show, make the difference to that show. So then we have yeah. TLC, which is a, a, an amazing, incredible match. Uh, you know, there's we, we've seen so many ladder matches and TLC matches since, but f- for its time and even now, it stands up there as being brilliant. Yeah. It's followed first by TL- first three uh, TLCs are awesome. They are. And this was their time to really show what they could do and come up with spot after spot that they're still using today. You've got the Edge Spear, which you know is still played in a lot of packages now. So you've got all these moments. You've got Shane versus Vince, which you know was a, a dominant feature coming up to it, but you thought it was just going to be a, a, a silly little throwaway match. You know, turned mm. out to have one of one of the moments of the night with Linda standing up and you know the coast to coast with the trash can. Um, you've got Triple H versus Taker, which is possibly Taker's best WrestleMania match at that time. Um, Triple H was, you know, as as good as he could be at that point, and really good all over the arena brawl. Mm. You've got for you've got for old people like me just to break it up. You've got the gimmick battle royal, which made me smile. And then just before the main event starts, you realise that you have seen possibly one of the best pay per views you have ever seen. And that, unfortunately, the main event can't live up to everything because how how could it? It's been such an amazing event, such an amazing commentary team with Jim Ross and Paul Heyman, two of my favourites. Um, yeah. And then the match happens. And it's as perfect a main event as you can be. It's intense from the very first blow. It's non-stop. It's fast. There's no rest holds. There's blood, there's reversal of finishes, there's doing each other's finishes. You've got table spots, which uh, I'll always remember this and always love this, that Paul Heyman, having lost his table, now has to watch the match on the Titantron, despite the fact he's sitting right next to the ring where the match is happening. I oh, yeah, I, I remember that bit. I love that, love that so much. <laughs> You've got Austin, who is, you know, he's the hometown hero. The crowd absolutely love him. But no matter what he does, he just can't put Rock away. You've got Vince walking down. And you know Vince is going to screw Austin. Here's back to me knowing things that don't actually happen. You've got the major heel turn and the shock of what this can mean and what this could mean going forward. You've got mm. the you've you've then got the obvious Vince does the heel turn, hits Rock with the chair, and it's over but he kicks out. So then Austin hits a stunner, and now you know it's over, and he kicks out. And then finally you've got chair shot after chair shot after chair shot after chair shot, where he finally flips and does everything he has to. This is the ultimate heel turn. This isn't just a Vince helping Austin and you come into the next night's Raw thinking, will he, you know, 
did he just take advantage of Vince helping? He he turned pure heel here and finally gets the win in an epic main event to an epic pay-per-view with an epic theme song and an epic commentary team. It was, should we say, epic. Fair enough. Um, hmm. I really like this match, don't get me wrong. I really like the heel turn, don't get me wrong. I think this is extremely, extremely good. I love the intensity of this match. Um, there is no fault in the intensity. Uh, I like the violence. It feels like a fight, you know? And that's what I want wrestling to be. I want to feel like a fight. But I'm going to throw this question out there. Is this the most damaging heel turn in WWE history? No. Okay. Why? <laughs> because I understand why they did the heel turn. I think if they could go back in time, they wouldn't. But what you got from Austin as a heel was some classic moments, was some classic matches, possibly the only good thing throughout the invasion angle. I mm. think he did he did the best he could with a bad situation. But how many times have we, through history, wanted them to turn Cena heel, for instance? They did something to try it, and if it didn't work out as good as they were, fine, they turned him back by the end of the year. At least they tried it, and at least he did the best he could with it. Yeah, I mean, is it a case of... I mean, it didn't really matter anyway, because Austin pretty much went part-time in 2002 and then left in 2003, so it didn't really matter. Um, yeah. but yeah, I, I, I heard, I heard that chain of thought the other day about disastrous heel turns. I can't remember what I watched or read and this was up there. And I think it's a case of the point that WWE probably started to, you know, lose viewers a bit. They did, but this was their first review having had no competition. So you mm. can you can kind of forgive them from trying something a bit different that they may not have dared to do before. I mean, what what's the problem if it doesn't work? What else is everyone going to watch? So that, yeah, that's this, true. This was their chance to experiment a little bit, and I, I don't think it was the worst ever. I think he lost, and the, the problem with he lost is the crowd didn't want to boo him. Um, yeah. So they they kind of had to. If if he'd been heel Austin with the same character as being ruthless and giving everyone the finger and attacking people, the crowd would have cheated him more than ever. That's what turned him face in the first place. The only way they could get him booed is by making him cowardly and into a kind of a joke character. Um, yeah. Not saying it succeeded too well, but at least they tried. I'm now hating the fact that they never tried to turn popular Cena heel in the last nine, ten years, but you know it may have failed badly. But I'm glad they tried it. Yeah, but absolutely. That, but the reason, you know, the main reason I'm sending it to heaven is it's just it's an amazing match at the end of an amazing pay per view. To f- you, you often hear that a main event can't follow something that's happened earlier. I think mm. we would have it the next year where Triple H and Jericho couldn't follow Hogan Rock, therefore it was just dead and it's just, it goes down as a as a bad main event. Even though, if if taken in context, if you only watch the main event, it's possibly good. Whereas this one did live up, it did possibly exceed everything that happened before. People came out of that pay-per-view remembering the finish of the main event, not remembering the spear from Edge or not remembering the coast-to-coast from Shane, even though they were amazingly great moments. They remember the way it finishes. 
Oh, absolutely. I think it's, um, without a doubt, one of the most iconic matches, uh, one of the most iconic pay-per-views to really signal the end of an iconic era for pro wrestling, probably the greatest era in pro wrestling. Um, uh, You know, I mean, that's still up for debate, but, um, you know, I I can see why WrestleMania X7 is so lord, and this is, like, the pinnacle of that. So it's a deserved, like heaven spot if i may say so uh not that i'm judging so your final match that goes to hell final match that goes to hell and get ready for the controversy nobody else would probably pick this um but i am going for john cena versus cm punk money in the bank 2011 that match can go straight to the depths of hell huh I okay hate that match i why hate do you that hate match. it why do you hate <sighs> it this is where the analogy comes in, and you've thrown me a curveball, because just before we went live here, here's some backstage info. I clearly text Broad and asks him if he's a gamer, to which he says no. And then he opens <laughs> by saying he's just bought Madden 2020, and there's a glitch in the first few minutes, which is, you know... Yeah, I, I, like, I, like, I like sports games, but you know, like I, don't think that con- I don't think that constitutes gaming, does it? Right. Well, I think it does. So I'm, I'm oh, going to use my initial analogy. I, di- I did which didn't sound as good, and I haven't got a clue what I'm really talking about. All oh, right, I want to hear ask. both. I want to hear both. Got <laughs> you want to hear both? Okay. Yeah, uh, right. But just, just to check, what console did you play Madden on? Uh, PlayStation 4. PlayStation 4. Okay. So you do play games. You obviously like games, and you like sports games. I just mm-hmm. want you to imagine that yep. later this year, the massively anticipated PlayStation 5 is going to be released. Yep. And we already know some of the features that it's got, the amazing graphics card capability, the fact it's going backwards compatible, so you'll still be able to play your Madden. You know, it's going to look great. It's going to have some amazing games coming out for it. It could potentially be the biggest console of all time. And I just want you to imagine that me and you, you know, we know each other through WWL and we get on okay, but, you know, other than WWL and these podcasts, I don't speak to you from one day or one week to the next. I just want you to imagine that on the day that the PlayStation 5 comes out, I buy a brand new PlayStation 5 with four or five games and two controllers, and I give it to you. And I say, Broad, I think you're a really cool guy. Just have this, just from me. Don't want anything in return. How happy would you be? Pretty. Pretty happy. I think you'd be, you know, you'd be amazed and you'd think, wow, that man really likes me. He's, he's cool. He's a good guy. I would and think, what do you want? <laughs> think about what I want. But, you know, I, I then wander <laughs> off and you go home and you've got this PlayStation. You set it all up and you, you play one of the games that came with it and the graphics are amazing. And then you, you, you think, I wonder if it is backwards compatible. And you put Madden 2020 and you're playing that. And not only are you playing it, it fixes the glitch. The glitch doesn't happen. And you're like, oh, my God, this console is brilliant. But the thing with this console is it's coming with all these features that, and some of the features we don't know. And imagine that one of the features was that every day the memory would get slightly smaller and the graphics capability would get slightly less and let's just say that the battery on the controller works a little bit less every day. And this is a built-in feature. This is deliberate. And every day that you play that PlayStation, it's not as good as the day before. Until six months later, the graphics look like PlayStation 1. The controller has to be plugged in constantly because the battery doesn't work. You know, and this is deliberate. If someone was to now say to you, 
how great was that day when Mike gave you that PlayStation? Wouldn't seem as good. You'd be disappointed because of what came after it. So back on wrestling, Money in the Bank 2011, Cena vs. Punk, could have been the greatest thing that happened to wrestling. They had an amazing situation. They had real life coming into the wrestling ring, which is always good. They had Punk signing his new contract two hours into Money in the Bank. You know, they didn't know what the ending was going to be. This is all factually documented. And all he wanted, he didn't want a big, massive raise or, you know, it wasn't necessary about money. All he wanted was his place on the card. He wanted his spot to be higher. And he signs and they went out and Cena made it. CM Punk made it. The crowd especially made it. The match was as good as it could possibly have been. The ending had CM Punk winning the title, and we all think he's gone at midnight, and he leaves through the crowd, and Vince looks upset, and we now have the most incredible situation that we've had for years and years in wrestling. And then what happens? Absolutely nothing. I've got the results of the next four pay-per-views oh. in front of me with CM Punk. So, the, you know, with, within a week or two, Cena is the champion again, and CM Punk returns, pins Cena at SummerSlam with Cena's feet on the ropes and then immediately loses it in a cash-in to Alberto Del Rio. Thanks to Kevin Nash. Thanks. Well, no, Kevin. Well, yeah, thanks to Kevin Nash. At the at the next pay-per-view, Night of Champions, he loses a match to Triple H. Oh, thanks to yeah. Kevin Nash. At the next pay-per-view, in the Hell in a Cell and Triple Threat, he is pinned by Alberto Del Rio. Mm-hmm. And four pay-per-views later, he is teaming with Triple H in the mid-card in a tag match against The Miz and R-Truth. And the Miz and R-Truth win that match. The Miz and R-Truth are in the main event scene at the time. They have one main event match and interfere in a Hell in a Cell match. I don't think that's been in the main Miz event scene too much. Miz was WWE champion earlier that year. Yeah, that match. Oh, that that match would have made your. Well, that match would have made your hell. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> the, I mean, the, I, yeah. But the point is, you you now have a brand new oh, PlayStation Five, where almost mm. deliberately the specs have been reduced and it's got worse and worse. And now you've got to look back at that match. That okay. match can go to hell because I, because that match could have given so much and it gave me nothing. The right, I'm going to separate the two here. Um, I think you're right about the summer of punk being a massive disappointment. I would agree with that. I don't think that's CM Punk's fault. I don't think that's John Cena's fault. Um, I will say this: like, yeah, you say those four matches, but then CM Punk won the title at the Survivor Series and went on 434 days, only being forced to drop it to The Rock at Royal Rumble 2013. Um, and how many main events did he have as champion? As a heel, he may have entered. I mean, yeah, I mean, I agree. It, John, look, look, we're, we're not going to disagree, but let's be honest, the match that people cared about was CM Punk. Here's the thing. Like, Hell in a Cell 2011, CM Punk, Del Rio, John Cena main event. Hell in a Cell 2012, CM Punk, Ryback main evented. Which one drew more pay-per-view buys, Mike? Uh, 2011. 2012, actually. Is it really? Uh, yeah. So, uh, WWE were so dumbly ingrained in John Cena that they couldn't actually see the numbers for themselves and the moment he was off the card actually CM Punk had more pay-per-view buys CM Punk should have been in the main event look we're in agreement are right? you, you proving my point here no no we're in agreement of, of the fact that it was just 
bad. Like yeah. what they did afterwards, it was it was nonsensical. The only great thing is you got great CM Punk promos. And the your next is, point uh, the, is going to be how great the match is. The match itself is fantastic. It was so. If again, if we do this podcast a week later, it might be going to heaven. But now looking back at it, what a waste! And I'm not just saying it's a waste because of the story that came after. It's a waste because of I'm, how great it was. I mean, at the end of the day, it's your hell, so I can't not, you know, allow you to have that. But, I mean, the one thing I would say is, like, of all the matches in the history of pro wrestling, uh, like, for instance, and if you take that attitude, for instance, what about Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels at Survivor Series 96? Like, what about the Finger Poker Doom? What about... What about the what about previous year's SummerSlam with the Nexus and Team Cena? What about all these other really bad bookings? Like you're so, taking a fantastic five star match, you put it well, a debatable five star match. I, I don't think it holds up as well, um, but it's in terms of environment and everything. Um, you take this fantastic five star match, and you say this should go to hell over many other bad matches and many more bad booking decisions that have been toxic to the industry by WWE. Let's not even talk about WCW or TNA or any other promotion. I agree that we could say that for lots of matches, but of all of them, I think this is the one that had the most potential to be amazing. Not just a good story or not just three months of a good um, storyline or something. This was unprecedented, and this had, I mean, where are we? 2011. So the internet was in full swing. Mm. They were starting to use social media and stuff to play, you know, to <laughs> what was do that, things. What, what was that Twitter thing that they did? Twitter video. I can't remember what it was called, but they toot or something like that. I can't remember. No, but, I have. I'm very not up with social media, but I know that they do use it to do yeah. things out of the ring that probably is still scripted and run past Vince and stuff. But this was their chance. We had WWE champion who didn't work for WWE. I mean, talk about... He went to tuning. Ring. He actually yeah. went to indie promotions with the WWE title belt in these two weeks. Yeah, I mean, how great is that? And they, I can't think of another story that they could have used as big. Your, your analogies of Survivor Series 97, what, what that led to was the best four years in wrestling that in my opinion and the finger post of doom that led to the end of wcw which is great um what what happened after the money in the bank it's a great match that doesn't mean anything in the whole history of wwe anymore um, it means nothing he the the whole point of that no. match was that was the punk leaves with the title he leaves wwe <laughs> Within a week, that's null and void. We have a WWE champion. No, 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 no. I disagree. The only reason why is because CM Punk brought the Ring of Honor style to the main event of pro wrestling in WWE. You know, and now many other superstars which are in the CM Punk mold, um, whether people like it or not, Daniel Bryan. Um, that's because of Seth, CM Punk, Seth, not because of that match. Yeah, but that match legitimized it in Vince McMahon's eyes, without a doubt. Like, no question. Before that, like, you look at any pay per view main event prior to that in 2010, 2011, and I've seen a few of them. I 2010 is awful. They're all dog shit, essentially, outside of Undertaker, Shawn Michaels. They're all dog shit. 
I'm not gonna like I hated every main event, mostly because John Cena and John Cena did suck uh back then. Um but CM Punk legitimized that in probably Vince's eyes, thought there's a moneymaker here and because of CM Punk we now have this at least in ring, probably the best era that we've ever seen with Daniel Bryan, Seth Rollins, um, AJ Styles, guys who, okay, not all of them made their name in Ring of Honor, but they went through Ring of Honor before coming to WWE and main event in WWE level. Um, so I think that I think CM Punk and John Cena is important for that matter. I'm not saying I totally agree with that, but even if it is, that's important in terms of what happens backstage and Vince's mind. But on screen, and what we see, that match might as well have never happened. It's too good a match to mean nothing. I think it really depends on the fan. I I think, uh, I mean, I think there was a lot of false hope, and it's not the first time we've experienced that. WrestleMania 35 is a perfect example of a false hope, false dawn. Uh, so I do agree, but I think there is an aspect where you have to separate the match from the actual, like what happens before and after. Like, you know, I've separated the Steve Austin rock match from what happened after, because if you go by that, then Steve Austin rock should go to hell by your logic. Cause invasion angle sucked. Heel Austin was a joke. Um, I'm not even talking about it sucking. I'm talking about it being forgotten and not even happening. You had the Summer of Punk, which wasn't the Summer of Punk. You had the the pipe bomb, which turned out to mean nothing. We didn't mm. even get the ice cream bars. No, we didn't get the ice cream bars. That's a real tragedy. Anyway, yeah. I think we've. I think we're going to agree to disagree. But fair enough. CM Punk, John Cena, Money in the Bank, 2011, goes to your rest in hell. Uh, even though you actually didn't hate the match itself. Uh, <laughs> so what's your final match going to rest in heaven? Rest in heaven. Final match is Brock Lesnar versus Roman Reigns, WrestleMania 31 main event. Interesting. Yeah. Why? Didn't think I would have a Reigns match in my heaven, but having put them all down. <sighs> that WrestleMania is the first WrestleMania I watch with... The, uh, Shall I sound really sad here? Yeah, let's me let's sound sad. That WrestleMania is the first WrestleMania I watch with friends. I watch as a big group of people. It was the first um hooked on wrestling event that I watched live. So we watched it in a bar at South Bank. There's probably around 150, 200 people in there. We watched it live. You know WrestleMania is a long night anyway. Um so the very first reason I love this match is the reason I love the event. It's a memory for me of how different it can be doing chanting and you know the the big reactions to the big spots and the booing and you know just not watching it either by yourself or with maybe two or three other people just sitting there watching a replay actually watching it in a party style Mm. so so that that event especially has the memory for me you know being surrounded people dressed as wrestlers and realizing i'm not the only wrestling fan in london um so you've got the memory there the same but the reason i choose this match specifically is again like i said earlier what i love most about wrestling is knowing what's going to happen before you walk into the match or before you watch the match and then being tricked 
So we, we were coming off. Bro- Brock Lesnar was an absolute dominant champion. He had demolished Cena. He had, you know, he, he was looking almost invincible. And I knew what was going to happen that he was going to decimate Roman Reigns, hit him with the F5 would kick out, hit him with a spear, one, two, three, would have a new champion. I knew that and would put all my money on that. And then the bell rang. And immediately, Brock Lesnar hits him with an F5 after F5 after F5. And they're going fast. They're doing move after move. That's not a typical Brock Lesnar match at that time with just slow plodding moves. It's 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 energetic and, you know, they he's proper beaten up Reigns more than I'd seen him beat anyone up who was still kicking out. Mm. So what I knew was going to happen had changed, but suddenly I realized where were the error of my ways. It's not going to be one F5 at the end. He's going to hit five, six, seven F5s, and then Reigns is going to hit the spear, which I hated even more. I'm really not a big fan of kicking out and finishing moves, let alone multiple ones. So... You know, we're now five, six minutes into the match, and even though what I knew was going to happen didn't, I now know it is really going to happen. And then it doesn't. You've got the change outside with Brock going into the post and bleeding. You've got a back and forth match suddenly. Sometimes you know that Reigns has won, he hits the spear, and Brock kicks out. Brock hits another F5, and Roman kicks out. You've got a great match that is totally not going the way I expected it. And then to add another twist on, they're both down and the music hits and Seth cashes in in the best cash-in in history in the main event of WrestleMania. He doesn't just cash in against the winner. He cashes in and changes the match into a triple threat. And 60 seconds of a beautiful segment later, Seth walks out as the champion and you are stunned. And everyone else in there was stunned and people were cheering and people were shocked. And it was such a good feeling, such a good way to go home that night feeling like you'd seen something special. Yeah, you know it's a great ending when Michael Cole's line of heist of the century is remembered. Yeah. Uh, so which is a great line. Um, but yeah, no, I remember watching this at home and I was just like, ugh. <laughs> like, WrestleMania 31 was surprisingly really good. Like, it was one of the worst built WrestleManias in recent memory. Yeah. But the the event itself, apart from Triple H beating Sting, and the Divas match. It was Divas back then. Um, can't believe that was only five years ago. Uh, thank God things have changed. Um, but yeah, apart from those two matches, like it was pretty good, pretty good WrestleMania on the whole. Like really good actually. But yeah, this main event. You know, Brock was dominating. Roman does a comeback. You go, okay, it wasn't the worst, but fine. You know, Roman, yeah. Roman's going to win, whatever. And then, yeah, Rollins cashing in money in the bank. I was like, they actually did it at a mania. <laughs> like, I never they thought did. they would actually do a money bank cashing at WrestleMania. Yeah. Or if and they like, did, so- it'd be a storyline. But it's just like out of nowhere. And. Um, I mean, just glance at this. Three of my matches I've sent to hell were three that I came in expecting to be great. Mm. So when the opposite happens and you come into a match expecting it to be predictable and ploddy and boring, and it turns out to be a really good match, it might, you know, it's, it's. I think some matches can be changed with the setting that you watch it in or the the mood that you're in at times, and people do see matches in different ways. 
I'm not saying it's the greatest match I've ever seen or possibly even the top 10 greatest, but it's just the way it made me feel and how good it was compared to what I expected makes it so good. Yeah, I think what WWE is very good at, like at least Raw and SmackDown, um, is that that feeling of goosebumps when something like big is going down. Um, And I never got the hatred for Brock Lesnar that other people do. I think Brock Lesnar gets professional wrestling more than most professional wrestlers get professional wrestling. I'm a a big fan. He is the ultimate heel. Um, Like that Royal Rumble this year, everyone's like, oh, this is fucking terrible. This is bullshit. And I'm like, well, this is great storytelling. Like, I want Brock yeah. to dominate. I want someone. Yeah. I want someone to dominate. So whoever like eliminates him looks fantastic. And Drew McIntyre and Brock Lesnar is bloody like for all the crap he gets. Like, he is bloody good at like reactions and psychology and ring uh, yeah. in every match, except the ones he doesn't care about. And to be honest, know what Braun Strowman's a bit like. Good, uh, but. <laughs> Um, but you know, um, yeah, so he does, he makes Rome look really good here as well. And, um, yeah, Brock Lesnar is so underrated, so underappreciated. And, uh, this is one of those matches where you go, yeah, Brock Lesnar is that damn good. Um, you know, I, I tell everyone like, you know, one thing you must do as a wrestling fan is just watch a Brock Lesnar match live. It's just the atmosphere changes. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's like when, like watching on TV, but times 1000, it's like, Oh shit. <laughs> and you know, like something with a Lesnar match goes down. And, you know, I think this is probably the most special of those moments where it, apart from the Goldberg win at survivor series, the following year, I would say something, some shit went down and it was amazing. And, you it know, was. and like, they can look forward to what was going to come. Mm. If and it was this like time, top, what came was good. Yeah, if we do like a top ten moments of the decade thing, this would be up there. I think it would. That that moment where Seth music hits, he runs down, mm. and it's it's like a it's not an immediate oh there's Seth music. It's Seth music. He runs down. He's got the briefcase. He's going to cash in. But hang on, who's he going to cash in against? And then it becomes a triple threat. It's like a it's a, a slow penny drop. Yeah, I I remember being like absolutely confused. I was like, yeah, like is he going to cash in against Brock and now Roman's out of the match? Like, how does this work? Yeah, and it's like boom, triple threat. And I was like, huh. And then why would you make it a triple threat? And then very quickly, you know, moves out of the way for the spear and Mm. hits the stomp on Brock, but then pins Roman. So it's like, yeah, and I think. I think what both men did prior to the Ron's cash in was made it look like a proper fucking fight. Um, one thing I absolutely love, and uh, this is from Roman, uh, you know, uh, blue eyed Roman, coincidentally, the only distracting thing about that match, but it was like after I was after he either took another suplex or another F five, he kicks out and he's just like laughing, like Roman Reigns yeah. is just smiling. And he's just like, if they made Roman do that, like a, the thing with Roman is they tried to make him John Cena and he's not John Cena. You look at Roman Reigns and you think fucking badass. Like if they made Roman a badass, they could do the babyface stuff as yeah. much as they want. 
like some, you know sometimes we have this moment where we see the flashes of what roman can be and we think there it is you know the the times where he totally flips and trashes ringside and attacks triple h and stuff at times where i think wow we've now got the real roman and then the next week he goes back to try and to set, do catchphrases that'll get a pop and yeah like roman's very yeah. good you know i think this is the first time the first time outside yeah oh yeah he is very good you know like there's no doubt about it like now he's a massively improved performer. Like uh it's a damn shame that WrestleMania thirty four main event is not to the same level. Definitely. Uh, you know, uh too many finishes being kicked out of. But yeah. you know, let's not about that. Yeah, WrestleMania thirty one deserve deserve to go to heaven, in my opinion. Absolutely uh, great choice. Well, I agree with pretty much all but one of your choices, but uh it's your decisions at the end of the day, Mike. Just twist the Thank knife into my much. heart. Just twist the knife <laughs> into my heart. We should anyway. reverse the rules for the next one. <laughs> we should do. We should do. Anyway, uh, thanks for joining me, Mike, and uh, thanks for telling me your choices to go to heaven and go to hell. Uh, hopefully, let's know you enjoyed the show. And uh, if you want to follow us on social media, you can do. We're on Facebook, Twitter at Holy Shoot Pod, uh, on Instagram at Holy Shoot Wrestling. Uh, if you like the show, give us a five-star review or a like or whatever the rating system is on your um, podcast provider. Subscribe to us. And that's the bottom line because this pod said so. Da-da-da-da-da-da. 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 Da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Da-da-da-